Can you feel it in your bones? Can you feel it oozing through your veins? It's that big game electric atmosphere, that feeling that you get before a really, really big football game. And we are inching closer, just a couple of days away now, a few days away from Ohio State, Penn State. It seems like we've been waiting for a really important showdown all season long, and we're almost there. Ohio State, Penn State, the de facto Big Ten East Championship, the winner, more or less, goes on to Indianapolis. Technically speaking, if Penn State wins, they still have business left, but it's only Rutgers that they need to beat if they were to beat Ohio State in order to go to Indianapolis. This is the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. I am your host, Kyle Lamb. As you can probably guess, we're going to be talking about this matchup more. It's it's a huge one. ESPN's College Game Day will be there. Fox will be there with their big noon pregame kickoff coverage. BTN Tailgate will be there. You name it, they're going to be there covering Ohio State-Penn State. We will be talking Ohio State-Penn State today with Ross Fulton, analyst of BuckeyeGrove.com, to talk about what the Nittany Lions will do schematically, what Ohio State did against Rutgers, how it pertains to the game this week, what to expect both on offense and defense from the Buckeyes and Nittany Lions. Also today, I'll break down a little recap of the college football playoff rankings. Week number three, not really any surprises, but I will tell you what I make of them and why they are important and not important going forward. All that today here on Locked on Buckeyes. We are brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Please check them out at jfqlending.com. Check out the Locked on Buckeyes podcast, your daily Ohio State fix on the Ohio State Buckeyes on all of your podcasting platforms. That includes Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or say play Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers and voila, Locked on Buckeyes will come up and play for your listening pleasure. Thanks for following me. You can catch me on Twitter if you're not doing so already at KYLAM8. You can also follow the show at Locked on Buckeyes Singular. All right, we are going to begin our long week of previewing Penn State. We're going to do that today with Ross Fulton of Buckeye Grove. Ross, appreciate you taking the time and Late Wednesday evening, late Tuesday evening, I guess, uh, Southern California. Thanks for uh, jumping on here with us. Hey, happy to do it as always. So I, I want to go back to something interesting that you said during the game against Rutgers last week. Because you were mentioning, I was kind of uh, talking about Ohio State's run game and how it wasn't very effective. And you noticed even during the game... And it's interesting because I have since been told by a couple of people that this was the case. You you noticed that Rutgers was giving what I think you called the Dwayne Haskins treatment to Ohio State, and I've been told Ohio <laughs> I've been told Ohio State did absolutely dumb down the run game for this one. I'm going to let you uh, give your explanations as to why that was, but I want to first go back to that comment of the Dwayne Haskins treatment. So what was it Rutgers was doing against Ohio State's run game on Saturday, and what was Ohio State doing to make them give that treatment? Well, they basically weren't accounting for Justin Fields to keep or even for backside bubble screens, really. But so long story short, they were just overplaying the front side of the zone run. And they're doing that both by slanting um, and also having their 
linebacker towards the initial action of the running back, often try to shoot the gap in between, uh, you know, the guard and the tackle. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they were, like, totally effective in stopping Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah had lots of positive running plays, but obviously there were a few that stood out. But, yeah, I mean, they were basically just outnumbering Ohio State to the play side. And normally, Ohio State will deal with that by having fields keep. And the, the couple times he kept, he ran for like 15 yards each. But it's Rutgers. And so it's like, why are you going to risk Justin Fields against Rutgers? And Ohio State knows that. And Rutgers knows that, too. So they can get they know that they can get away with being more aggressive. It, it, yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's almost as if Rutgers knows Ohio State isn't going to risk running fields more than they have to in that game. Yeah, exactly. And you see that all the time in college football when a lesser opponent is playing a, a better team that has a quarterback that they will use in the run game. And they often guess that like the, they're, the better opponent's not going to run their quarterback against them. So they'll just get more aggressive. And it, it basically is like they act as if the quarterback is not a run threat. So you mentioned in your column this week on BuckeyeGrove.com that, that Ohio State did only run a handful of run plays against Rutgers. Now, I had a good question asked of me. It's like it's one thing to only run a couple plays, but it's not like Ohio State hasn't shown other run plays in the past. So what is the advantage of using a really small playbook for, for the run game on Saturday when they've used other plays in the past? Uh, so a couple things. I mean, one, it's all about practice time, right? I mean, we don't know what was going on during practice, but how much time the coaches spent actually preparing for Rutgers versus game planning planning for Penn State and or Michigan uh, that's part of it you know I don't know how much practice time they even personally had the players devote to doing the other things um, also you know the tendency is to focus uh, for uh, coaches or you know when they're breaking down their, their upcoming opponent is to really focus on the last three games now obviously that's not a hard and fast rule but that's like how they'll, they'll really dig into tendencies and so a lot of it could just be like trying to break tendencies. You know, they, everyone charts, you know, if you run this formation, how many times you run, you run it versus pass, and this is what you do from it. And it could just simply be just tallying up the statistics to try to throw off Penn State, Michigan. So you saw Ohio State putting a real focus on the pass game this week with Justin Fields and some of the routes that they were running. Uh, explain, if you will, what you saw with Ohio State focusing on and how that may affect what we see going forward with the Penn State and Michigan games. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say the last two weeks, they've really focused on pushing the football downfield. For most of the season, they were perfectly content. You know, they've seen a lot of off coverage in the corners, and they were content to take those 10 yard hitch or out routes and the last couple of weeks they've used it as essentially as extended practice to work on pushing the football vertically now this week one thing that was noticeable was they focused on a lot of corner or post corner routes to you know attack the deep outside and that will be important against michigan because this year don brown and michigan's running a lot of what's called trap two, which is essentially covered two, but a bit of a more aggressive version of it. And those are the kind of throws you have to hit against that kind of uh, zone coverage. Would you say this Penn State front seven is, is the best they've played this year? I know Wisconsin is pretty good up front. Uh, Michigan State, although they haven't been showing it as much lately, is pretty good up front. But I've been saying I think Penn State is probably the best they will have seen. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think we all – and we all have a tendency to be like, we said before Wisconsin, this will be a great challenge. And then when Ohio State 
beat them soundly, it's kind of like, oh, Penn State's going to be the biggest challenge. If you look at advanced statistics, I'd say that Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan are all sort of in the same bucket. They all have their strengths. I think Penn State does, person for person, have better athletes uh, than Wisconsin does. Um, but, you know, so and they'll, they'll be aggressive and they'll, you know, they'll take their shots at, at creating negative run plays. And so just like last year, you know, we saw how important the, those bubble screens were against Penn State. And similarly this year, Michigan, part of the reason they had such a slow start against Penn State is Penn State was pretty, pretty aggressive playing the run against them. And then they started throwing bubble screens and that pulled those outside what I call the overhang defenders out of the box, and then they were able to move the football. So, you know, you get different styles, and I think those plays are going to be important again. So explain the defense that Penn State will run uh, against Ohio State and what you think the game plan will be for the Buckeyes to attack that. Yeah, so they use a lot of, you know, it's a 4-3, 4-2-5 over front, which is pretty standard, but especially against Ohio State in recent years, what they love to do is blitz what I call the overhang defender. So essentially the guy who's kind of covering up the slot receiver or outside the tight end, like think Sean Wade or Pete Warner for Ohio State. They like to blitz that guy as a run blitzer to get numbers in the box. And then they'll play like sort of a soft three deep three under a zone blitz behind it. And they'll slant and they'll try to overload. And so, you know, again, a lot of what Ohio State, if you go back and look the last few years, has had success against Penn State with it's the quarterback keeping on the backside, backside bubble screen, things that constrain them from, again, attacking the frontside run game. So uh, to go back to your earlier question, that's also probably part of the reason that they purposely didn't do that against Rutgers is because they want to sort of save those up for Penn State. We definitely have seen Ohio State holding back the zone read run game and, and getting fields too many touches, but now it's it's a whole different season. It, it, do you think Ohio State goes all out now with trying to incorporate zone reads and, and design draws and run plays, or is it kind of more of what we've seen maybe midseason in games like Wisconsin where they're still holding back a little bit? I was going to say, uh, before you brought that up, actually, that I'd say Wisconsin was probably a bit more assertive and in involving him in the run game with the amount they used Bash, and he really him keeping on that run play really kind of got everything else going. And so I think you'll start there, right? I mean, the one thing we really have not seen at all is designed lead quarterback runs, maybe occasionally an outside zone and the goal line, but that's about it. And so, you know, the more they get pushed, and if they're struggling on offense, the more you could see his legs become part of the game plan. But I think they'll probably start with trying to run, you know, their standard outside zone, inside zone, and with him being more assertive keeping if it's there, and then see see how far that gets them. We've got more coming up with Ross Fulton here in just a second as we look at the Ohio State defense against the Penn State offense. All right, we're back now, Locked on Buckeyes. Segment number two, more with Ross Fulton of Buckeye Grove as we dive into the Ohio State defense and kind of look at what the Penn State offense might do. And Ross, you know, first and foremost, I don't think much changes with Chase Young being back in the fold, but it's certainly nice to have that pass rusher in your back pocket as you're going into a game like this, especially one that has a, a couple of playmakers, maybe more than some of the past teams they've played. Yeah, I, I also think it'll make a big difference playing the run. I mean, I think we saw a few breakdowns from the younger defensive end against Rutgers on Saturday, and I think there's just things that Chase Young makes very hard for opposing uh, offenses to get away with. 
and you know and it limits their need to use sort of flip packages and other things that get that put people a little bit out of position you know Rutgers took advantage of that a couple of times by running on third and long with quarterback design runs when they had guys you know the linebackers covering towards the line of scrimmage there's just less need to do that when you have Chase Young. Ross, one of the things I mentioned the other day on the podcast that I, I thought was a big deal against Penn State is Indiana did a pretty good job getting to Clifford, getting some pressure on him and flushing him out of the pocket, but they did not contain him very well. And he's a little bit like Trace McSorley, McSorley with his escapability and his ability to make big plays with his feet. Uh, it, this has got to be at least up there with some of the uh, – more difficult situations Ohio State has had with making sure they keep guys in the pocket. Yeah, I mean, his legs have been a huge part of what they do. Both zone read plays, I mean, they really like to run power elite read, which is where they run the outside sweep and have the place uh, the backside guard pull and lead, and he runs inside. They also love to use quarterback draws or quarterback draws with RPOs on third down, so they'll read a linebacker and decide whether to throw it or keep. I mean, you know, and, and a lot of their quote-unquote biggest games, his completion percentage has not been particularly high. So they're relying on his legs a lot to gain yards. And so a lot of it is going to be just playing sound and discipline and, you know, staying within the defensive scheme. I mean, Ohio State, a lot of what they do is designed to take away RPOs. And so it's really just going to be being disciplined. Penn State is very, very reliant on two guys getting the ball in the hands of K.J. Hamler and and, and also Pratt. Pat Fryermuth, I said that just fine all week long, and all of a sudden it's a tongue twister. But those two guys really big in what they do. Hamler obviously is is kind of a big story, and that we don't know his availability yet for Saturday. But what what do they like to do with those two, and what will Ohio State need to do in order to stop them from getting the ball to those guys? Yeah, I wouldn't even try to say Fryermuth. I, I I'm not even sure I can set it right there. But well, you, um, you actually sure. you you got it right that time. I I, I credit oh, wow. you. Well, if I did it 10 more times, I'd get it right one more. So he is their real threat, right? And especially vertically. So to go back to their game against Michigan again, you know, the few times, again, Michigan is playing a lot more zone this year after what Ohio State did to them last year. But the few times Penn State caught him in man coverage, Clifford uh, was able to connect with Hamler vertically. And, and that's really where Clifford is better. He, he seems to have struggled somewhat against zones and trying to pick them apart, but when he can get Hamler matched in an advantageous matchup and try to just basically let him work one-on-one and hit him. Friar move is a little bit more of, um, you know, I hate to use the possession receiver kind of a cliche, but they use him a lot on RPOs. And so they'll use a lot of like sort of tight end kick routes or tight end arrow routes off of zone read and really uh, sort of try to catch linebackers getting nosy, uh, which is going to be a big challenge for our state because one area, like, for example, the Michigan State game maybe stands out the most. They had some success thrown to their tight end uh, behind Ohio State's inside linebackers who really are have been instructed to focus first and foremost on the run. And so I think Penn State will do some things with Friarmouth to mess with uh, both the inside linebackers and with Pete Warner and put him in run-pass conflict. You know, it it amazes me, Ross, Penn State now. They have so much talent on that roster. I think they have 50, uh, three, four, and five-star players. It, it's not, or 54 and five-star players, actually. It's not that they haven't recruited well, but for some reason, they just have not been very dominant up front with that run game, not very consistent. They've got three pretty good backs, 
but they still can't get the run game uncorked on a consistent basis. Are you surprised at the lack of uh, offensive line production that they've had in that run game the last several years? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, they don't really have, as you said, I mean, they got three guys. And, I mean, for, to me, Noah Kane, the freshman, might be the best. But, he, I mean, he's pretty much a bruiser. He'll gain tough yards. But there, I don't think there's anyone that, like, necessarily scares you as an opposing defense. Like, a guy you're worried about basically taking it 80 yards. And, you know, I think they are very dependent. They've been very dependent on the quarterback being heavily involved in the run game. You know, again, they really like power read, which is really a play design for the quarterback, first and foremost. I mean, that's what Auburn made so much hay with with Cam Newton. Uh, and Ohio State loved to run it with JT Barrett. And so, you know, it's, it's just a very quarterback-dependent run game. It, it's kind of inconsistent as a result of that. So you mentioned Rutgers uh, doing some trips formations this past weekend, and that would help prepare Ohio State for some things they would see with Penn State. Ex- explain that a little bit with what Rutgers was doing and how that might translate to Saturday. Yeah, so it, it's a really particular one, and I actually was thinking about that even before the Rutgers game. So, hey, I'm glad Rutgers and I are on the same page. I don't, <laughs> actually, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Uh, but so – when an offense is called a trips or sometimes called like a trips nub from formation, it's basically you put the three receivers to the wide field. If you're on the hash mark and just the tight end to the boundary and how Ohio state responds to that again, like, so the entire defense, when Greg Madison and Jeff Hafley came, they're like, we're going to stop the run. We want to be more sound. We want to be gapped down. Cause like last year, Ohio state was having linebackers responsible for multiple gaps or guys going all over the place. So they're like, we want to keep our two linebackers in the box. So to do that, it gets tripped. You need to either, if you're not shifting your linebackers over, you need to bring your other cornerback over from the other side and cover the, the other receiver. So that's what I would say does. So, like, if you have trips to the field, you're going to get, let's say, they're, they're tri- to the right-hand side of the offense. You're going to have, you know, Okuda, then Damon Arnett on the second receiver, and then Sean Wade on the third receiver. And that leaves Pete Warner, who essentially functions as a safety in this defense, as the only defender to the tight end side. And so, you know, for Penn State's perspective, again, back to Friar Moose, that you could try to make some hay out of that formation because you're really leaving Warner with he both has to defend the boundary edge and cover the tight end just to that side. He very little help. Similarly, what Rutgers just kept doing was running to the two cornerback side because those defensive backs are playing pass coverage first and foremost. And so they only can give so much run support. And so, it's a tough formation. I mean, there's it's a tough formation in general. There's, you know, defenses spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to cover it. But, you know, everyone has to make trade-offs, and Ohio State's made that trade-off. And so it's, it's when, when you have a good tight end, because Ohio State's bet basically is that most college teams don't have a good pass-catching tight end. And so when you do, it's going to really stress Pete Warner in particular. So, Ross, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So Ohio State is an 18-point favorite. At this point in the season, I, th- I think – we know what we have with Ohio State. That doesn't mean that, like on a single game basis that Penn State can't sneak up and, and win a game or, or Michigan can't. But I think we know this Ohio State team is as is legit. doesn't mean they're going to run the table. Uh, but on the other hand, you have this Penn State program that has given Ohio State fits the last several years. What do you see? How do you see this game playing out between uh, you know Ohio State's dominance this year and also Penn State as a program that has 
has been a thorn in the side of the Buckeyes. So back to my last comment, I, I mean, I do think that because they do have, you could put Handler on one side and Farmers on the other. I do think that can stress the defense that I talked about. I do think they can gain some yards. That said, I just don't think Clifford is consistent enough during the football, particularly when you can mix coverages on him. And, you know, I, again, I think they can make the high state run game perhaps start and stop. But I, I, I mean, I'm personally have been, saying that I think actually Michigan at this point is playing better than Penn State and maybe the tougher challenge. Um, you know, so I, I, I personally am expecting Ohio State to win, you know, comfortably, maybe not, who knows if they cover, but I could see winning by a couple of touchdowns. But, you know, I think unless you introduce turnovers in the equation, that obviously changes things. But otherwise, Ohio State should be able at home to win by a couple of touchdowns. We will talk more Ohio State, Penn State coming up the rest of the week with Bill Bender of the Sporting News and also Kevin McGuire of Locked On Nittany Lions. Uh, in the third segment, I'll talk about Ohio State. They were number two in the latest college football playoff rankings. Not a surprise, but I'll explain again. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think Ohio State, if they win out, will be back in that number one spot ahead of LSU. We'll talk about that in the third segment. Ross, I appreciate you joining us and We'll definitely talk next week to preview that big game and also recap what happened here with Ohio State and Penn State. Happy to, Kyle. Anytime. The latest college football playoff rankings are out. They are as I thought they would be and pretty much said they would be. Ohio State in the number two spot behind LSU. The only thing that really... I don't even know if it surprised me, but that I didn't expect was Penn State being ahead of Oklahoma. I did think that the Sooners would jump Penn State, but that did not happen. But as far as this matters going forward, it doesn't. I still think I've said all along that if or when Ohio State beats Penn State, they will pass LSU. Certainly if they don't this week, if they beat Michigan and Penn State back-to-back, then I do think Ohio State will be back in that number one spot. And you got to remember, yes, LSU has a chance to beat number four, Georgia, but Ohio State has a chance to have a top 10 win against Minnesota or a top 15 win against Wisconsin in that same week. So bottom line here, Ohio State could finish the season with three consecutive top 10 or 15 wins. I think if the Buckeyes win out, especially if one or two of those games are in convincing fashion, they will be number one when the final rankings conclude. And that's important. I know some of you have asked, well, does it really matter? It does matter, not because of seeding, but more because of who you would play in the semifinal matchup. Nobody really wants to play Clemson right now. They're playing a lot better football. If you haven't been paying attention, they are not playing anybody great. Their competition is suspect, but to be fair, they're playing great defense and their offense is playing a lot better as well. Trevor Lawrence, his stats have been pretty comparable in the last several weeks to Justin Fields. So nobody really wants to play Clemson in that semifinal matchup. So I think it is important to get number one. Uh, One qualifier here, there's been a lot of confusion as to whether the number one seed gets to pick its bowl location in the semifinal. It turns out it does not. The, there has been a lot of misunderstanding here. It turns out the committee does give preference to number one and in the past has asked their preference 
as to where they would like to play, but ultimately the committee will decide the bowl matchups for those semifinals. But I think Ohio State, because it has the advantage of the eye test, because it's clear now that LSU has a problem defensively. Remember, they gave up 38 yards and 400 or 38 points and 450 yards almost to Vanderbilt, along with the 614 yards and 37 points to Ole Miss. This LSU team has an issue defensively. I think the committee will recognize that, and I think the committee will act accordingly. Remember, when the first rankings came out two weeks ago, Ohio State, not LSU, was number one despite having one less quality win than LSU did at the time. So I think with three straight top 15 wins possible for Ohio State the next couple weeks, they will be back in the number one spot, even if LSU wins out and beats Georgia. I really, really believe the committee uses these early rankings as a publicity stunt. I know that kind of invalidates the work that they do at the end because they, they want us to believe that these rankings matter and that they uh, take them seriously. But I don't think that that happens. I think that this is their way of saying, see, we can change on the fly. We can adapt with more data and make changes when we see it's necessary to make changes. I really believe that happens. And that's why I think LSU being number one, is kind of for show. I think they put LSU number one because they catered to the public. LSU beat Alabama, so you got to play the merit, the accomplishment, the wins game. They did that, but they also said in, in the week number in week number ten after the first rankings came out that Ohio State was the best team in the country in their their opinion, and that didn't change. Ohio State is still number one in game control. They're still the most dominant. They've got a strength of schedule that is just behind LSU right now but it's projected to finish ahead of LSU by the end of the season. So they believe Ohio State is the number one team in the country, and Ohio State will be able to justify them being put there at the end of the year if they beat Penn State, Michigan, and either Minnesota or Wisconsin. So Ohio State is number two right now, as we all thought that they would be, but I believe if they beat Penn State this week, they will be back in number one, and I think that they will stay there the rest of the year. I really do believe that. Ohio State would finish with five top 25 wins. LSU would also finish with five top 25 wins. But Ohio State has a much better defense on top of a really good offense, past the eye test, better strength of schedule. I think it all adds up to Ohio State finishing number one, which is big because then LSU, if they went out, would face Clemson in the semifinal and Ohio State would likely go to the Fiesta Bowl and probably face Oregon or the Pac-12 champion. So this is all lining up really well for Ohio State. Just win, baby. Al Davis said it best. But you got to like where Ohio State is at. I really believe they will be number one if they win out. That is the big question. Winning out is the most important thing at this point. Not that they have to win to get in the playoff. I think they could lose and still get in in the number four spot. But... If you want to be number one, if you want to control your own destiny, you got to keep winning. We'll talk more Ohio State, Penn State tomorrow with Bill Benner of the Sporting News and also Kevin McGuire of Locked On Nittany Lions. And of course, Friday we'll have more with Kevin as we continue our 
preview of the de facto Big Ten East Championship between Ohio State and Penn State. Everybody's going to be there Saturday morning, ESPN College game day, Fox, BTN tailgate, you name it. People are going to be at this one. It's a huge showing. I think when all is said and done, it's going to be the number two watched college football game of the regular season, right behind LSU and Bama, which drew a 9.7 rating. For context, if you look at some of the games, Ohio State-Michigan, the noon games last several years, kind of a good window into a possible rating here. I think Ohio State-Penn State will do somewhere in the neighborhood of an 8-9 to rating, but fall just shy of LSU-Alabama. The thing it has going for it is because there's no other ranked matchups, there will be a lot of eyeballs, especially with both ESPN and Fox promoting the game leading up to kickoff. I think that that will draw a lot of eyeballs over to Fox to watch this game. There aren't a lot of other games going at the time. Certainly no other ranked opponents playing each other. So could be a huge game. Ohio State, Penn State, noon on Fox. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to be talking about it. We'll talk more about it these next couple days. Be sure to find and follow Locked on Buckeyes on your favorite podcasting platform if you are not already. We are on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, many other third-party apps. So tell your family, tell your friends, tell your family's friends, your friend's family. Get to Locked on Buckeyes, the only daily Ohio State Buckeyes podcast. Follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Follow Locked on Buckeye on Twitter at Locked on Buckeye Singular. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with more Ohio State Penn State preview. Have a great evening, everybody.